0: The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. This series, we are on Identities Revealed. This is a series going through the book of Mark. Uh, It's just a book in the New Testament. And so, um, those of you who do have your journals, wave them in the air like you just don't care. I wasn't going to finish that, but I just... Yeah. Okay, if you do have your journal, great. If you don't, not a big deal. You can follow along. Um, Every Bible's got this book, the book of Mark. Um, So, uh, anyone need a Bible? Really quick, you can raise your hand. Okay, Anna. Um, Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, cool. Um, We're going through the book of Mark, and right now we are in chapter 8, which is halfway through. The book is 16 chapters long. Um, We are a little bit... A little bit more than halfway um, through the series because we're not hitting every chapter, but um, it's called Identities Revealed. And if you can see there at the very bottom, living out your identity as you grow to understand Christ. So really, it's plural. It, we intentionally said plural identities revealed as His identity is uh, made more clear to you than your identity is made more clear to the world um, as you respond to that. Is if you see Him as Lord and Savior, that will be clear to the rest of the world because they'll see how you live and respond to that, how you submit to him. But if you see him um, not as Lord and Savior, that would also communicate something to the world that you wouldn't submit to him and live for him. And so as his identity is revealed to you, your identity, how you respond to that, is revealed to everyone else. Identity is revealed. And tonight, I want to look at the fact that Christ suffered our Lord and Savior. His identity is really so intertwined with and so closely knit to um, suffering. And so naturally, as his followers, as, as Christ followers, we also should have our identity just intertwined with and so naturally um, woven into this idea of suffering and pain. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, wow, actually, that was surprising. I was looking for that. Um, Suffering, his identity, our identity in him as he is a sufferer, we also should expect to be sufferers. It's not a fun topic. And I know we just actually got off the topic um, of pain and suffering, but it's just what the the text leads us to. This is what the text is talking about. Um, And so more specifically, I want this sermon to be called Rose-Colored Glasses. I don't always have sermon titles, but whenever um, I feel like I have a decent one, I want to say it, you know, because I'm so excited about it. Rose-colored glasses is the sermon uh, title for tonight. And uh, why I called it that is because, actually, premarital counseling for Sarah and I. We, uh, uh, can I get an ah? Come on. I got an amen. I need an ah. Ah, there we go. Um, Premarital counseling, Sarah and I were, uh, it was actually our first meeting. Um, and I think it was actually our first and only with this guy. Uh, it's not because of the story I'm about to say, but nonetheless it was. Um, we met with him, and he was actually a huge mentor of mine in my life. And we sat down, and what it really is just, you know, can you live with this person? What are some normal struggles um, that married couples go through the first couple of years? You know, or have you thought about this? Have you, have you thought about that? Are you prepared for this? You know, and... Um, So we went into the premarital counseling, and about 30 minutes in, this dude throws an accusation at us. And uh, I still, to this day, think he was wrong. But nonetheless, you know that's usually when they're right. But he said that Sarah and I had rose-colored glasses um, in looking at our relationship. And I gave him that look like, how dare you? And But no, um, I just sat there like, yeah, you're probably right. Um, what, it, what, it, what he was really trying to say was that we saw our relationship in a distorted lens in which we think it's way uh, better than it actually is. Or we have such an optimistic view of what it's going to look like. We think, oh, there's going to be no issues. It's going to be perfect and, and daisies and roses. Rose-colored glasses, you get what I'm saying? Roses. yeah. Oh, 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 rose-colored glasses. He said that we had rose-colored glasses about our relationship. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I still do. I love our relationship. So it's rose-colored. That's what that means. Um, Rose-colored glasses. And then now I want to talk about our relationship with Christ and really us being Christians in this topic of suffering. My main point that I really want to focus on is that we should, I want you to join me in taking off the glasses to see true Christianity. I think so many Christians have these rose-colored glasses on in their understanding of Christianity and their walk with Christ, their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. They have these rose-colored glasses on, and they think it's much prettier, less issues, not as many struggles. But we should take off those glasses if we want to see what true Christianity really looks like and what being true Christians looks like. Pain is a natural entailment of not only life, yes, life would bring about naturally pain, but also Christianity brings about its special type of pain and suffering and hurt. And that's just the reality of it. And like I said, that should only be natural. If Christ suffers, we also as his followers should expect suffering, right? Whether that be persecution, and that would just be suffering because of your faith, because of Christianity, Um what else do I have here? Persecution, sharing each other's grief. Would that. Maybe, maybe it just means awkward discomfort. And knowing somebody has this horrible experience in their life and you coming alongside them. And whether that just be uncomfortable for you. We have a call in our lives as Christians, as a body of Christ, to be uncomfortable and step into that and say, I'm here for you. I want to grieve with you. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. But we're called to this discomfort as Christ would do that with other people in the New Testament. Persecution, sharing each other's grief, uncomfortable confrontation and accountability. It's not always comfortable to call out other people's wrongdoings, but we are called as the body of Christ to not only share each other's grief, but also call each other out and keep each other living certain lifestyles, right? And this is uncomfortable. This is not fun. It's awkward, but we're called to this, right? Maybe vice versa, not just calling other people out, but... Being vulnerable and transparent to other people about what you're going through, what you're struggling with, what sins you really just can't give up. And that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. But we're called to this kind of discomfort as we are called to follow Christ, who is holy and who is pure and who is righteous. As his followers, we're called to this kind of discomfort. And I could go on and on, doing the unpopular thing um, among your friends. Yet... So many of us have these rose-colored glasses on, and we think that it's all comfortability, no discomfort. There's no keeping each other accountable, because that's awkward. There is no sharing about your sins, because that's not fun. There's no standing up for what is right, though it's the unpopular thing among your friends. There's no persecution being made fun of your faith, because we're not standing out and being that bold. That would lead to that. I think so many of us have these glasses on. We think Christianity is this thing that we can do, but it leads to and doesn't entail any suffering and pain. And so I want you guys just to join with me. And in the next, as we look at this text, and we're not even in the text yet, but I'm just prefacing with, I want us just to consider that maybe we need to take off those rose-colored glasses and embrace and then walk in true Christianity. Take off those rose-colored glasses and walk in What Christ has called us to live in, and that's true Christianity. Christianity that would entail awkward discomfort and pain and suffering. So that's where I wanna go. Let me uh, just show you a few places in the Bible where it says most clearly that Christians will suffer, and I'm gonna to try to make it quick, but there's a lot of them, so I'll just fly through them. Uh, Acts 14 says, through many tribulations, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the route in which we are getting to the kingdom of God. We're going to the kingdom of God, A to B, but right in the middle of that line is many tribulations. We must go through them. Acts 14 says, keep going, and that's actually, um, quoting Christ, uh, 2 Timothy 3, indeed, all... All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, hopefully that's you, will be persecuted. First Peter 4, 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised, it's not going to be strange. It's not going to be out of the normal out, out of the ordinary. It's going to be typical. John 16: In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will most certainly will have tribulation. Romans 8, we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, this is the, the, the disclaimer, This not disclaimer, this is what might lead to us being children of God, heirs of God, heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. If we're not willing to side with him, we're not really with him in the first place. Suffering with him entails being children of God, suffering. Luke 14, that's the last one. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, most of you heard this, cannot be my disciple. So what's true Christianity? It entails suffering and it entails pain, discomfort. And so I want us to take off the glasses, the rose-colored glasses, and embrace what true Christianity is. That's what I'm calling all of us to do for myself, for you guys, Let's live out, let's walk out of these doors knowing, not only knowing what Christianity, true Christianity is, but also wanting to live it out and embrace it. So let's read the text. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's Mark chapter 8, and I've got mine here. It's going to be starting in verse 22. And so let's start reading. It says, and they, meaning uh, Jesus and his disciples. And it says, and they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him, that is Jesus, a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, just can you imagine this? Just, Just honestly picture this. This really happened. This is a true historical account of something that Jesus did. When he, Jesus, had spit on this man's eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. (laughs) This is just a funny, like honestly, I'm just thinking about this. Jesus goes, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he, so you can just imagine like spits, wipes, and he's like, you see anything? And the guy's like, I think they look like trees. And Jesus is like, again, (laughs) like goes at him again. And so he Then Jesus laid his hands on it again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He saw everything clearly, and he sent him him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Boom. That's story one. We're going to go a few more verses, okay? But that is the story one. Lock that in your brains. He healed a blind man, but it was like a progression, like a two-part healing. Okay. Verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They told him, John the Baptist. Others said, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, Him. You are the Christ. He strictly charged them not to tell, strictly told them not to tell anyone about him, roughly. Okay, there's that. Chugging with me. Healed a blind man, progression. Now he's walking with disciples. He says, who do you guys say that I am? They say, Peter says, you are the Christ. And now there's the last few verses we're gonna read. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Honestly, that's just crazy, just knowing what Peter just did. He said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. That's what we're looking at tonight briefly. Um... And you might be asking, how in the world do these stories relate to one another? How can these three, if you will, three stories, first the blind man healing, and then Peter saying he's the Christ, and then Jesus rebuking Peter because Peter didn't want him to suffer. How can these three relate to one another? I promise you they do. I promise you they do. And whenever we walk out of here, hopefully you will see it. I'm going to do my best to make sure that you see it. So let's just start from the very beginning, and let's just break down what this text is saying, okay? So it starts off, and I really want to focus on the the middle portion of this story of the, the blind man being healed. So there's a two-part. This is nice, so I can actually cough and look away, not the face thing. Um, I want to focus on this two-part thing. So Jesus healed this man initially with first touching him, and then he said, well, I can see, but it's blurry. They're like people, but I think there may be trees walking. And so it's, kind of a healing and then jesus touches him again and the guy can see clearly so i first want to start with what is what is the story not doing or saying what is it not saying not first it is not saying that jesus is incapable of healing the man like he messed up That is not at all what it's saying if you go back through all the stories in the book of mark Jesus is perfectly capable. His, his divinity is not like depleted and he's got to recharge. Okay, He is fully capable of healing this man. So it's not saying that Jesus is incapable of healing the man. The second thing, the second thing is, this is not a model for us, okay? Hear this. This is not a model for us that we should pray again when Somebody is not fully healed. So pick up on what I said here, okay? I'm not saying it's not telling us to keep praying. We should keep praying. You know, pray persistently. It's definitely in the scriptures. Pray persistently. But this is not a model. This is not a, a text that you should go to and say, See, I prayed for this guy, his arm's not healed. I need to pray over him again because Jesus needed to. Not what this text is here for. I actually was in one of my classes at Evangel, preparing to be a pastor. And in one of my classes, there was this guy that did this exact thing. Oh, and it drove me crazy. <clears throat> we were in class and we usually open up most of our classes with prayer. And this guy, um, he says, well, this one girl sitting next to him first said, you know, my, my leg's been hurting and, you know, I, I just would like pray for it, pray for it. I think I just pulled something. It's not a big deal, but you know, I just, it's just been sore. I'm like, yeah, sure, we can pray for it. Well, this guy next to her, he says, no, 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 we need to stop and we need to pray, right? Everyone gather and lay hands. And you're like, oh, okay, this is getting Pentecostal. Okay, let's go. And so um, he has everyone crowd around her laying on hands. And if this isn't your tradition, you're probably like, well, this is weird. And so, uh, yeah, I felt so too, actually. So it was very weird. Um, and I know Pentecostal stuff. This, was, this felt weird. Uh, but we did. We laid hands. And he's like, I'm leading out. So he led out in prayer. And then he prays, finishes, and says, The question that everyone knows he's going to ask, How's it feel? Does it it feel okay? She goes, still sore, but, you know, time will tell. He goes, nope, that doesn't count. That doesn't cut it. That's not enough. Everyone, so at this point, like, everyone's starting to walk away. You know, I'm making my way back to a seat, and he goes, everybody, turn around. Get back to her. And so he's, like, having everyone go around her and lands on her again. And I'm like, are you serious? And so I'm the only one that doesn't, and that sounds bad. Um, I totally had faith that God's going to heal her, and um, I was all for praying over her, But I was like, God's going to, if God's going to heal her, he's going to heal her. We don't need to try again. And so I actually refused. And so I'm the stubborn guy that I sat down in my chair and they all go around and they're praying again and praying again. And then he goes, how's it feel? And she goes, ah, you know, a little better and totally out of just like, please stop asking me. Um, he's like, she's like, yeah, it feels a little better. And he goes, not good. And he prays again. And he goes like four, five times. And finally she's like, wow, this thing's like brand new. This thing is an amazing leg. And he's like, I knew it. And I was like, oh my goodness. I asked him later, I was like, why, why, why did you feel like you needed to keep praying? He goes, well, Jesus needed to. It's not true. Jesus didn't need to pray again. So this isn't a model for us Pentecostals to pray again because Jesus didn't answer the first time. Jesus will answer your prayer. The prayer isn't any better the second or third or fourth time. Prayer works. Just pray the first time. And certainly, yeah, if you want something to happen, you know, pray um, over days. I'm not against persistent prayer, but this is not a model for praying for healing immediately. And if you don't get it, just keep praying and praying and praying. That's not what this is doing. So I just want to say that. What is it here for, though, then? I think Jesus intentionally made this a progression healing, a two-part healing, if you will, because he wanted to communicate maybe an analogy to Peter or to us, the readers, I do wanna say this is 100% a healing. This isn't like a fake story that Mark threw in there as an analogy, as some allegory. This is a true healing, a true historical account. Jesus healed a man, it happened. But Jesus sometimes does things in order to, with a deeper meaning for us to see, and he's trying to teach while he does something in a certain way. He does that in a certain way that we might understand a deeper meaning. I think he's actually doing that here. Why would he heal this man progressively? Well, I'll tell you. Now, I think that he progressively healed this man because the story that would come right after it with Peter Because he wanted Peter to see this and it to be related and Peter to catch the similarities that Peter, like the blind man, progressively saw or understood or perceived Jesus and who Jesus was. Like this blind man progressively started to gain back his sight, Peter also progressively gained sight. I really believe that that is why Mark put it there and why Jesus would do that. Peter progressively started to see Christ. So, I I spent a long time on there, but I want to see how we got there. The next, directly after Jesus doing this, healing this man progressively, it gets here to Mark chapter eight, verse 27, and Jesus goes with the disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And this means Messiah, the savior, the one that's gonna reign, the one that's gonna save everyone. He's gonna sit on his throne. And he's right, he's so right. Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the one that will sit on a throne. He's right completely, that's exactly what he needed to say. Mark doesn't say it actually, Jesus' response to Peter, but we have multiple gospels, multiple accounts of Jesus' life, and Matthew actually does tell us what Jesus says in response to Peter when Peter says this, and it is, "'Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, "'because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, "'but my Father in heaven,' And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and, on the, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is incredible. Peter really nailed it. I mean, this is, he's in the jackpot. This is amazing. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Peter knew exactly what he was saying. You are the Christ. And he was right. But then you keep reading. Right after he said that, you are the Christ, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. One, he must suffer many things. The second thing is that he must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And then thirdly, just to top it off, he must be killed. Peter Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus is like, you're correct. And he goes, I must suffer. And then Peter's response is like, absolutely not. Peter rebuked him for that, saying, absolutely not. You will not suffer. So he understood Christ's identity as Christ, but he only saw him kind of like men were like trees walking. He only kind of, it was blurry, his understanding of Jesus as Christ. He understood him to be Christ, but he didn't understand that being Christ meant suffering even until death. And Peter saying, absolutely not, you will not suffer. Missing this little small part of Jesus' identity led to Jesus not only, he first gave him this amazing compliment, man, I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom to you. Now this will lead to the biggest rebuke Jesus ever gives to anybody in the Gospels. Seconds after he says something so amazing to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He equates Peter to the man that tempted, to the devil himself that tempted him in the the desert and was there whenever Adam and Eve first sinned. This is the most evil person that we can fathom in all of the Bible. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter missed out on the small detail of suffering in Christ's life. Suffering makes Christ, Christ. Jesus, as the Messiah, is only Christ through his suffering for us. That is, he he was born to die, to suffer for us, to be our savior through dying and through his suffering. But Peter saw him to be Christ, just, he he only understood it in a blurry way. And Jesus rebuked him for it because Peter kind of had, like, like we do, rose-colored glasses on. And he saw this idea of Christ to be something just so great. Sitting on a throne, totally right. But that's all he saw. He didn't see the suffering that also would be in Christ's life. And I think so much of the time we are like Peter. We have the rose-colored glasses on and we forget about the suffering of Christianity as his followers. We, we, we are like the blind guy that totally sees, I wanna be a Christian, but then we, it's kinda not all there because we're missing out on this huge part. I don't wanna suffer. I don't wanna be uncomfortable. It's like the blind man who saw trees walking or wearing rose-colored glasses. We wanna be Christians, but we're missing out on this huge part of Christianity. We're just like Peter. In a lot of ways, but specifically this. We have rose-colored glasses on, and we try to separate Christianity from suffering, just like he tried to separate Christ from suffering. We try to do that. I think we try to live this Christian life with no suffering at all, with no discomfort, with no tension, just as happy, rose-colored Christianity And I think we're missing the whole point in Christianity if we are trying to take out suffering. That sounds weird, but I think we are. So how do we try to run from discomfort in our Christian walks? How do we try to separate discomfort from Christianity? How do we try to have Christianity and not discomfort? How do we try to have Christianity without the pain? How do we try to have Christianity without the awkward situations? How do we do that? I think we do. What are some ways? I think, like I said before, the uncomfortable conversations, I think we try to be Christians without having uncomfortable conversations. I think we try to do that all the time, whether it be calling somebody else out in their sin or telling somebody, hey, I did tell you what I'm struggling with. These are uncomfortable situations, conversations, but they are so necessary if you want to be a part of and you say that you are in the body of Christ. Christianity cannot be separated from uncomfortable conversations. It's like Peter saying Christ is Christ without suffering. Christianity is not Christianity without uncomfortable conversations amongst the body of Christ. We have to do it. What about being there with others in grief while they're struggling, while they're suffering, while they're hurting? We try to be Christians, but we won't walk up or across the room and grieve with them, talk with them. Hey, I heard such and such happen. And just being there with them, that's uncomfortable. But can we be the body of Christ without doing that? You know what? How about this? How about I just actually take away the, the, the grieving part about it? What if we made the uncomfortable step of just talking to another person in the body of Christ? Being welcoming, being loving and supportive. And just, hi, nice to meet you. I haven't ever met you. My name is. And just, that's uncomfortable. But can we be the body of Christ? Can we be re- Christ's representatives? Can we be his ambassadors on the, this planet without being hospitable and loving? Even if it means being uncomfortable. Can we be Christians without the uncomfortable challenges that come with it? I don't think we can. But I think we try all the time to have Christianity in a rose-colored glass way. I don't, I don't actually talk about this one a whole lot in, in this group. Uh, in this setting at least, uh, but missions. I, I, don't really, I don't think I've ever actually preached a sermon on um, missions, maybe considering the call to be a missionary, but um, how many have even considered the the possibility of being a missionary overseas? I, I think if you have, that would be so amazing. I know Sarah and I, uh, we, we are definitely wanting to go into the missions field sometime in our lives. And I remember whenever I told... I remember whenever I told my family that, um, not just my parents, my, my siblings, um, but like kind of my, my larger family, I remember I told them that I wanted to go into missions. Uh, it was right after I went on a trip to Mexico, right on the border. There was a lot of drug cartel stuff going on. And um, I went there and I fell in love with ministry there. And I came back and I remember saying, I want to go into missions. Um, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I'm thinking maybe Mexico, near the drug cartels or Middle East. Um, I want to do that. And I remember... So many Christians, Christians, hear this, Christians were telling me, don't do that, that's unsafe. That place is off limits, go somewhere that's safer. Maybe you've heard your parents say that. Maybe you've heard other Christians, good meaning, well-meaning Christians, saying, and this blows my mind, follow the gospel but with an asterisk, follow the Great Commission but with an asterisk, only when it's comfortable and safe. And that blows my mind. I can't even comprehend how are we saying I want to follow the Great Commission. I want to go tell people around the world, but war zone, eh, never mind. I, it's like, it's like we're checking off like little features of what we're good with and what we're not good with. And then we're going to just click search and it'll set, it'll give you the perfect place of where you're going to go minister to. That's not what we get. We get to go and minister to people, whether it's It doesn't matter where it is, what situation, what people group, we are called to go. And if that means pain and suffering, awkward conversations, even death, we go. And we say, you know what, okay. But I think so many Christians now, good meaning, well-meaning ones, have rose-colored glasses on with their understanding of Christianity, and that would lead them to say, be a missionary, but just go somewhere safe like Italy. Make it a vacation. It's like, no, I'm thinking Afghanistan. Like, no, not there. That's not safe right now. Rose-colored glasses, Christianity. I think so many have fallen into it. And I pray that you wouldn't. And I, and I don't want to sidestep any parents or mentors that you might have. But I'm just saying, they might need to read the Bible more. <laughs> that sounds bad. But honestly, it's Christianity. And we need to do we need to take off the glasses and embrace true Christianity we do we need to that's another way the reality is I can just keep going on just time and time and time and time again of just different places and where we need to take the glasses off and embrace true Christianity I can just keep going uh, but I don't I don't have time I need to finish up the reality is that we should run towards those discomforts if that means just telling the gospel to other people if that means representing Christ we need to run towards those discomforts, not walk away from them. As small as walking across the room and being hospitable and loving and just saying, Hi, my name is, all the way to going to somewhere super unsafe that might threaten your life. Wherever on that spectrum, take the glasses off, and we need to be Christians, which includes pain and suffering and awkward situations and discomfort. So, whether it be conversations, that are uncomfortable, suffering with someone else in grief, doing whatever it takes to move the gospel forward. I pray that we would not ignore this call to be uncomfortable. And we would just seek after this Christianity that is comfortable. That's not what we're called to do. And I think Mark 8 really shows us that. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.